This is day 180 of our daily Bible reading. We'll be completing Micah chapters 2 through 6. Lord God, thank you for a new, fresh morning to study your word and to examine the truth that's in here. We thank you, Lord, for delivering us from the hand of Satan, from the evil of this world. You have taken us out of this world and have given us a higher calling. We thank you, Lord, for such a privilege and an honor that we don't deserve. And Lord, because of what you've done, may we move forward with a sense of urgency in sharing the gospel with those who need to hear it. Because we know that you're coming soon, and we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So that may be the only chance we have to be Jesus to someone. Lord God, please challenge us in this way. Please help us to see this with more seriousness. This is not just religion, Lord, but this has eternal impact. Please bless the reading of this word. In Jesus' name, amen. Woe to those who scheme iniquity, who work out evil on their beds. When morning comes, they do it, for it is in the power of their hands. They covet fields, and then seize them, and houses, and take them away. They rob a man and his house, a man and his inheritance. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I am planning against this family a calamity, from which you cannot remove your necks. And you will not walk haughtily, for it will be an evil time. On that day they will take up against you a taunt, and utter a bitter lamentation, and say, We are completely destroyed. He exchanges the portion of my people. How he removes it from me. To the apostate he apportions our fields. Therefore, you will have no one stretching a measuring line for you by lot in the assembly of the Lord. Do not speak out, so they speak out. But if they do not speak out concerning these things, reproaches will not be turned back. Is it being said, O house of Jacob, is the Spirit of the Lord impatient? Are these his doings? Do not my words do good to the one walking uprightly? Recently, my people have arisen as an enemy. You strip the robe off the garment from unsuspecting passers-by, from those returned from war. The women of my people you evict, each one from her pleasant house. From her children you take my splendor forever. Arise and go, for there is no place of rest, because of the uncleanness that brings on destruction a painful destruction. If a man walking after wind and falsehood had told lies and said, I will speak out to you concerning wine and liquor, he would be spokesman to this people. I will surely assemble all of you, Jacob. I will surely gather the remnant of Israel. I will put them together like sheep in the fold, like a flock in the midst of its pasture. They will be noisy with men. The breaker goes up before them. They break out, pass through the gate, and go out by it. So their king goes on before them, and the Lord at their head. And I said, Hear now, heads of Jacob, and rulers of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know justice? 
you who hate good and love evil, who tear off their skin from them and their flesh from their bones, who eat the flesh of my people, strip off their skin from them, break their bones, and chop them up as for the pot and as meat for the kettle? Then they will cry out to the Lord, but he will not answer them. Instead, he will hide his face from them at that time, because they have practiced evil deeds. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who led my people astray. When they have something to bite with their teeth, they cry, Peace! But against him who puts nothing in their mouths, they declare holy war. Therefore it will be night for you without vision, and darkness for you without divination. The sun will go down on the prophets, and the day will become dark over them. The seers will be ashamed, and the diviners will be embarrassed. Indeed, they will all cover their mouths, because there is no answer from God. On the other hand, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, and with justice and courage to make known to Jacob his rebellious act, even to Israel his sin. Now hear this, heads of the house of Jacob, and rulers of the house of Israel, who abhor justice and twist everything that is straight, who build Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with violent injustice. Her leaders pronounce judgment for a bribe, her priests instruct for a price, and her prophets divine for money. Yet they lean on the Lord, saying, Is not the Lord in our midst? Calamity will not come upon us. Therefore, on account of you, Zion will be plowed as a field. Jerusalem will become a heap of ruins, and the mountain of the temple will become high places of a forest. And it will come about in the last day that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains. It will be raised above the hills, and the peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, Come, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, and to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us about his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For from Zion will go forth the law, even the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he will judge between many peoples, and render decisions for mighty distant nations. Then they will hammer their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, and never again will they train for war. Each of them will sit under his vine and under his fig tree, with no one to make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. Though all the peoples walk, each in the name of his God, as for us, we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. In that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather the outcasts, even those whom I have afflicted. I will make the lame a remnant and the outcasts a strong nation, and the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from now on and forever. As for you, tower of the flock, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you it will come, 
even the former dominion will come, the kingdom of the daughter of Jerusalem. Now, why do you cry out loudly? Is there no king among you? Or has your counselor perished, that agony has gripped you like a woman in childbirth? Writhe and labor to give birth, daughter of Zion, like a woman in childbirth. For now you will go out of the city, dwell in the field, and go to Babylon. There you will be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. And now many nations have been assembled against you, who say, Let her be polluted, and let our eyes gloat over Zion. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord, and they do not understand his purpose. For he has gathered them like sheaves to the threshing floor. Arise and thresh, daughter of Zion, for your horn I will make iron, and your hooves I will make bronze that you may pulverize many peoples, that you may devote to the Lord their unjust gain and their wealth to the Lord of all the earth. Now muster yourselves in troops, daughter of troops. They have laid siege against us. With a rod they will smite the judge of Israel on the cheek. But as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Therefore he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has born a child. Then the remainder of his brethren will return to the sons of Israel. And he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will remain, because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth. This one will be our peace. When the Assyrian invades our land, when he tramples on our citadels, then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight leaders of men. They will shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword, the land of Nimrod at its entrances. And he will deliver us from the Assyrian when he attacks our land and when he tramples our territory. Then the remnant of Jacob will be among many peoples, like dew from the Lord, like showers on vegetation, which do not wait for man or delay for the sons of men. The remnant of Jacob will be among the nations, among many peoples like a lion among the beasts of the forest, like a young lion among flocks of sheep, which, if he passes through, tramples down in tares, and there is none to rescue. Your hand will be lifted up against your adversaries, and all your enemies will be cut off. It will be in that day, declares the Lord, that I will cut off your horses from among you and destroy your chariots. I will also cut off the cities of your land and tear down all your fortifications. I will cut off sorceries from your hand, and you will have fortune-tellers no more. I will cut off your carved images and your sacred pillars from among you, so that you will no longer bow down to the work of your hands. 
I will root out your ashram from among you and destroy your cities. And I will execute vengeance in anger and wrath on the nations which have not obeyed. Hear now what the Lord is saying. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Listen, you mountains, to the indictment of the Lord, and you enduring foundations of the earth, because the Lord has a case against his people. Even with Israel he will dispute. My people, what have I done to you, and how have I wearied you? Answer me. Indeed, I brought you up from the land of Egypt, and ransomed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. My people, remember now what Balak king of Moab counseled, and what Balaam son of Beor answered him. And from Shittim to Gilgal, so that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. With what shall I come to the Lord? and bow myself before the God on high. Shall I come to him with burnt offerings, with yearling calves? Does the Lord take delight in thousands of rams, in ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I present my firstborn for my rebellious acts, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. The voice of the Lord will cry to the city, and it is sound wisdom to fear your name. Hear, O tribe, who has appointed its time? Is there yet a man in the wicked house, along with treasures of wickedness, and a short measure that is cursed? Can I justify wicked scales, in a bag of deceptive weights? For the rich men of the city are full of violence. Her residents speak lies, and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. So also I will make you sick, striking you down, desolating you because of your sins. You will eat, but you will not be satisfied, and your vileness will be in your midst. You will try to remove for safekeeping, but you will not preserve anything. And what you do preserve, I will give to the sword. You will sow, but you will not reap. You will tread the olive, but will not anoint yourself with oil. And the grapes, but you will not drink wine. The statutes of Omri and all the works of the house of Ahab are observed, and in their devices you walk. Therefore I will give you up for destruction and your inhabitants for derision, and you will bear the reproach of my people. So we have here the continuation of judgment against Judah. And so let's look at a few important details that are in here. So first off, chapter 2 seems to be a compilation of the reasons for the judgment, as God usually does. He states his case as to why he is justified in destroying them and causing them to go into exile. So in this particular case, they are in their idolatry, they are dishonest with people, they are judgmental, and God is done with them. 
Now, the way that mica presents this material is very different from the other ones, simply because it's almost as if there's three parties involved that interchange throughout the entire narrative. So it seems that God speaks for himself in the midst of all this, which is as expected. We see Micah himself speaking, not necessarily quoting the Lord, but speaking for himself. And it also appears like the nation is responding back to him, as if there are certain people that are opposing what Micah is saying. And so that's what it seems to be doing back and forth on here. So for example, if you look at verse 3, it says, thus says the Lord, right? And so he, he says whatever he's going to say. So like in verse 6, it says, do not speak out. Well, who's saying that? Well, obviously the nation, because every time a prophet speaks the word of God, they, they try to silence them. And so then it shows what Micah's response is. And then it says in verse 7 that this is the spirit of the Lord impatient. Are these his doings? Do not my words do good to the one walking uprightly? So that's God speaking there. So it seems to go back and forth between three different groups, as I was saying. Isn't this true? Do not my words do good to the one walking uprightly? So yeah, it's like we've talked about before when it comes to the coming judgment. For us that are saved, this should be a joyous event. This should be something to look forward to, and as we rightly do, because we know what this means for us. That means that the Lord God is finally coming to judge wicked people and to take us home, take us to heaven, where we'll spend eternity in glory with him. But for those that are not saved, that is not a good day. That is a day of fear and dread, because they know that what's coming to them is not going to be good. They will be cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death. So, to some, the word of the Lord is good. But to some, the word of the Lord is judgment. And it is punishment. And so, that is a day of fear for them. So, we see that he has the same issues with them, that they are constantly going against his law. But then he promises that he will assemble a remnant again like we see at the end of chapter 2. The remnant is always a reoccurring theme, if you haven't figured that out by now. So then we go to chapter 3, and he begins by judging the leaders, because, again, all leadership is established by God. And this is figurative language. Verse 2 is very literal in the terms of you who hate good and love evil, but then it talks about some very graphic language, like they chop up people and eat them. But that's not talking literally. It's talking about, I guess, like how you would say today, throwing people under the bus or screwing somebody over. I suppose that would be the better way to say that in today's language. And so that's what we see. And then at the end, in the middle of all their wickedness, they're going to cry out to the Lord when the judgment comes. And the Lord's going to be like, really? You saw this coming. You knew that you were disobeying me intentionally. Why am I going to relent if you have not repented? We saw that in Jonah, right? If they truly repent, God will likely relent, but they won't repent. They are just complaining and they want free benefits from God without actually worshiping him. 
And we can't be that way either. We don't go to church just to get the benefits of God. We go to learn who he is and enjoy his presence because this is a relationship we're having. I just don't like the thought of my wife. I love my wife. So it's the same thing with God. I don't just love the idea of God. I love God for who he is. Then beginning in verse 5, it shows judgment against the false prophets. Like it says, when they have something to bite with their teeth, they say peace. When things are going well for them, when they're well fed, everything's fine. But as soon as somebody doesn't give them something, then they pronounce holy war. That's This is dangerous right here. This is a very dangerous section because there's so many people that do this very thing today. False prophets, diviners that say all these things and show a prosperity gospel. Really, if you want to put it down to that, this is a prosperity gospel that he's warning against. There will be special judgment for those people, the ones who falsely represent Christ intentionally to lead people astray. They are agents of Satan, and we need to watch out for those. That's why we always test what they say with the Word of God. Verse 9 is judgment against Jerusalem itself, that it will become a heap of ruins, because, like it says here, verse 11, the leaders pronounce judgment for a bribe, priests instruct for a price, and her prophets divine for money. They've chosen their God. They've chosen the God of the world. They've chosen mammon over God. And so that's the kind of stuff we still see today. So we need to watch out for those people. And they even have the audacity here in verse 11. Yet they lean on the Lord, saying, Is not the Lord in our midst? Calamity will not come upon us. How ignorant they are. You really think God's going to let you off the hook just because you are an Israelite? Just because you're a priest? I come from the business world, and in the business world, I learned a long time ago, they tell you, everyone is replaceable. No one is in a position that cannot be replaced. And that includes us. God doesn't need us, and he can put anybody in the position he wants because he's the one who sustains and empowers them. He uses weaklings to accomplish his purpose. Think about the disciples that he called in the Gospels. They were normal, ordinary guys, and yet he made them extraordinary through the Holy Spirit. Chapter 4 points to the future kingdom at the end times. And the reason we know it is because of the language being used, because it literally says in the very first sentence, and it will come about in the last days. So that tells you right there what time period that is. And then it describes things that have not happened, but we hope it will soon. Many nations will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. Do you see any nations doing that? I don't. He will judge between many peoples and render decisions for mighty, distant nations. I don't see that either. People don't take counsel with God throughout the world. They will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. That means that they will never again train for war, like it says here in the end of verse 3. Has that happened yet? No. It is still going on, and the threats of war are still continuing. So, this is not the present time. 
This is something to look forward to in the end. But then when you go to verse 9, it goes back to the present time, to a time not too far off, which is when Babylon is going to come and conquer them. And yet then it jumps in verse 11 back to the future times, because many nations have been assembled against you who say, let her be polluted. That could be considered current time, but it could also be considered future time because it says in verse 13, arise and thresh. For your horn I will make iron, and your hooves I will make bronze, so that you may pulverize many people. That doesn't happen, though. When Babylon comes to take over Judah, they're not that strong. They don't fight back in this way. So obviously this isn't talking about during the Babylonian campaign. This is something in the future. Then we go to chapter 5, and it talks about a future time for the coming king of Israel. And then we come to a scripture which is used in the New Testament when the star appears in the sky, when the birth of Christ is nigh, then they're like, where is this king going to be born? And so they search the scriptures and then they find this verse that he is going to be born in Bethlehem. For one, And this is very interesting as well because you would think that they understood who Jesus was if he claimed to be the Messiah. Because it says here that from you, one will go forth from me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. This is completely supporting the deity of Jesus Christ. Again, he's not the kind of Messiah they expected. But if he does claim to be the Messiah and the people knew this scripture, then they would understand that he is truly God. They didn't seem to understand that because it was veiled from them. And then it shows in verse 4 his second coming. And it talks mostly about in the chapter about that. It talks about this messianic kingdom where King Jesus is going to liberate his people for all time, which is a beautiful thing to see. But then when we go back to chapter 6, it's returning to God being like a prosecutor in a courtroom to where he is indicting Israel and Judah once again. But what he first does is he makes a case for himself. Like he says in verse 3, My people, what have I done to you? And how have I wearied you? Answer me. So then he gives all the things that he's done for them, not against them. He's doing this to show that he is vindicated and that he cannot be blamed for anything. He's trying to show them that their sin is completely on their heads, that there's nothing that God did himself to cause them to stray or that he instigated their sin. He is completely vindicated, and he shows how. I brought you out of the land of Egypt. That's evidence number one. I sent you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. I said, that's two. Remember what Balak, the king of Moab, counseled, and what Balaam was trying to do, and what I had Balaam accomplish. He was told to curse you, and I made him bless you. That's three. What else do you need? So, I don't know what else you want. And then Israel is like, well, how are we going to come back to the Lord? How are we going to do this? 
So Israel proposes to make up for it by offering sacrifices. What do you want, God? Do you want a thousand rams? Do you want ten thousand rivers of oil? Is that what you really want? But then Micah seems to interject here, and he says, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. That's what he wants. He doesn't want all the sacrifices. He's mentioned that many times throughout the Bible. He doesn't delight in the sacrifices. He delights in what the heart condition is when they're sacrificing. Yes, indeed, blood atones for sin. That is a fact. Something has to die for the sin that you achieved. And back then, it was these animals that your sin would be imputed upon them. Jesus Christ was the final sacrifice, and all of our sins are imputed unto him. So, he doesn't require anything else from us. That's why we don't sacrifice today. But instead, what does he want? He wants us to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. First of all, they need to walk at all with him. But then secondly is they need to walk humbly. They need to exalt him to his proper position, and we need to lower ourselves several notches. Then we go to verse 9, and he again is going to list several of the sins that the nation is committing and the punishments that he has for them, beginning in verse 13. So also I will make you sick, striking you down, desolating you because of your sins. You will eat, but you will not be satisfied. He's mentioning all the things he's going to do in response. And they are being compared to two of the worst kings that the nation of Israel had, which was King Omri and King Ahab, which was a terrible time for the northern kingdom of Israel. And yet the southern kingdom of Judah is being compared to them. So that's pretty bad if you're going to be compared to those kings, because they were terrible. God still has some things to say to the people of Israel, and Israel is still again going to try to defend itself. But we only have one more chapter of Micah before we go into the next one, which is Nahum. So we will be completing Micah tomorrow, and we will also be completing Nahum. We are moving quickly to the end of the Old Testament, so we're almost there. But for now, that's all that I have. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.